This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're working to make a VBAC happen in episode number 128. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is Kristen from naturalbirthandbabycare.com here. And I should let you know that I've got Phoenix here with me too, so I'm bouncing on a birth ball while I record this podcast, which is hopefully going to keep him content, but you might hear him fuss or grump or share his opinion. Uh, I've been told on past episodes where I was recording with Corwin or Sadie that most people like that, so I'm going to really try hard not to apologize for his noises, but I do want y'all to be aware that he's here. Okay, having said that, I'm excited to jump into this episode. This is actually a series that I hoped to get done before Phoenix was born, and it just didn't happen. Scott and I are working hard and have committed to trying to make sure that we can get the podcast going more regularly from this point out, because I like doing it on a weekly basis. I have a lot to share, and I have a lot of requests for podcast topics that I'd like to cover in the coming weeks and months, so I'm going to work on that for y'all. And if you're listening in the future, I hope that everything's there for you to enjoy. So today we are going to work on our VBAC series. We're going to talk about a few steps that help to create an environment that is conducive to a VBAC. And I say that because I really think that most women who have had a cesarean, especially if you had a cesarean for a reason like a breech baby or a reason like... um cephalopelvic disproportion, which means the baby's too big, uh, often those reasons for having a, a cesarean are not as valid as some other reasons for having a cesarean. And so I believe that many, 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 many women who have had a cesarean can go on to have a vaginal birth after. Of course, not every woman is going to be able to, just like some women really do need C-sections. That's true for VBAC moms as well. But most women can and should have what they call in obstetrical lingo and even midwifery lingo, a trial of labor, which means getting a chance. And a trial of labor is also really, really beneficial for your baby. And I guess thinking about it, I probably should start this episode by talking about some of the benefits of having a VBAC. And that trial of labor is one of them because it's really good for your baby. Even, for example, if you know that you're going to end up needing a cesarean, it's often beneficial to let labor begin on its own and then labor some before the cesarean. Now, that doesn't make it as neat and easy to schedule the cesarean and do all of that kind of stuff from an administrative perspective or from a doctor's calendar and booking perspective, but for a baby, it's really beneficial for the for the baby to have gone through labor somewhat. And we can we can pull from that that a vaginal birth is really the ideal for a baby. I know that the analogies that people have made in the past, especially the butterfly analogy, tend to be upsetting, so I won't repeat those, but we do know that when a baby has had a vaginal birth, if there's no true medical reason for mom or baby to have a cesarean, a vaginal birth is a beneficial experience to the baby. It it does a lot to prime the pump, so to speak, to get the baby's systems ready to run. We know that from a microbiota perspective that it helps to, to kind of seed the baby with a good microbiota. We know that it helps to force fluids out of the lungs. Um, 
we know that mom is in a good condition to bond with baby right away. And I think that those who are conscious of these things are working to make it to where babies who need to be born by a cesarean <laughs> section can have some of that those benefits too, and we can be aware of them. But still, a vaginal birth is what nature designed for babies. Also, mom's hormonal flow, which I don't really know that there's any way to emulate in a cesarean birth and even in a birth that's been a vaginal birth that's been really disturbed by procedures and things. We don't have the same hormonal flow. But if you go back and listen to the podcast episode I did with Dr. Sarah Buckley uh, several episodes ago, she talks a lot about this, that that hormonal flow is really beneficial and protective of babies. Again, it's kind of a priming the pump sort of thing. It helps get babies ready for a proper transition into this world, and it helps give moms and babies a strong bond. It helps give moms a burst of confidence that's just really, really, really important uh, to babies. So we know that unless there's a medical reason on the baby's part for a cesarean, the reality is is that a vaginal birth is always going to be more ideal for a baby. So again, if there's no medical reason, like if there's nothing medically that's going to stress the baby, then a vaginal birth is better. For the mom, there's other questions, and I'll actually link to some resources and things for y'all where we can look at these things have been studied, like what is the risk of a VBAC versus, uh, versus a repeat cesarean? And so what we see when we're looking at uh, repeat cesareans is that they, they tend, the danger of a cesarean tends to outweigh the danger of a trial of labor for a VBAC because when we think about a VBAC, the thing that, that most comes to mind is uterine rupture. And that's, that's what would be dangerous to both mom and baby. And it can be life-threatening to the baby and to mom, to be frank with you. We need to say that. But when we look at, at repeat cesareans, and especially when we look at cesarean after cesarean, so a lot of women today are choosing to have three or four babies. They're choosing to have more babies than women did in the past, or I guess women did in the more recent past. The trend was towards fewer kids, and now a lot of families are choosing to have three and four kids, and so a cesarean becomes more and more dangerous with each child that a baby has, or that a mom has, a repeat cesarean. And uh, I'll link to the resources from Childbirth Connections. They have some really good information that's very accessible and easy to read to help look at the risks versus the benefits of vaginal birth and the risks versus the benefits of repeat cesarean. But what we can say is that for a healthy mom and a healthy baby where the primary cesarean was for a reason that's unlikely to be repeated or if the primary cesarean was really what what is known in the birth world as an unnecessarian, so a cesarean that really didn't need to happen for whatever reason, then a mom is a good VBAC candidate. And there may be times when the when a cesarean did happen for a reason, for example, uh, there was a malpresentation in the baby. So breach, but often not breach. We, we usually say a breach baby when it was breach. But a malpresentation sometimes means, like for a first-time mom, a big baby and her waters broke before labor began or early on. It was a big baby. Baby wasn't in a great position. There was no water cushioning. 
and labor just didn't seem to progress. That's something that you see happen sometimes. And I would say that that mom is a really good candidate for a VBAC as well. So even when sometimes we feel like the the um, cesarean has been for a reason that was legitimate, it doesn't necessarily mean that a cesarean is the right choice for a subsequent baby. And often a vaginal birth is going to be the better birth for both mom and baby. There are going to be plenty of advantages there for mom and baby. So think about that when you think about, well, why, you know, why would I even want to try and have a vaginal birth? And then for a lot of women, I'm going to say this too, because it needs to be said. A lot of women really desire a vaginal birth. I... I have found my birth experiences to be incredibly empowering. I know that there are a lot of women who say, you know, I don't need an XYZ birth experience to feel confident and to feel empowered. But I also, going back again to the podcast interview that I did with Sarah Buckley, if you listen to that, nature wants birth to be an empowering experience. Now, do you have to have that experience? I don't think so. Should every woman have that experience? Should every woman give birth? No. No. But... Nature wants that to be an empowering experience, and why not take hold of that if it's out there? You know, it's kind of like if I see a strawberry bush in the yard, we have wild strawberries in our yard, and I see a ripe, juicy strawberry, I'm going to reach down and have that. I'm, I'm going to take that experience because nature put it there for me. You know, maybe it put it there for a rabbit and everything else too, but, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna get there. If I see that strawberry, I'm going to enjoy that strawberry, and I'm going to be grateful that nature provided that for me. I see birth in the same way. Why not try going for that experience? And yes, some women are not going to be able to have that experience. Some women are going to need interventions. I taught a class last week uh, on postpartum hemorrhage, and I shared the experience with my first birth where I had um, where I had some hemorrhaging, and I needed an intervention for that. My midwife chose to use Pitocin. Uh, And that led me to be very interested in that topic and eventually, of course, almost 16 years forward, teach a class on the topic. But, you know, I, I mean, I needed that intervention at that time and other moms have needed interventions, but why... Why dismiss what nature has given us because some moms can't do it, you know? Why say that I shouldn't take that strawberry, for example, just because there might be somebody else somewhere else who for whatever reason wouldn't be able to reach down and pick that strawberry. You know, maybe my grandma is too old and frail to reach down and pick it, so she needs somebody to help her. But does that mean that I shouldn't pick that strawberry? I shouldn't talk about the blessing of being able to find that strawberry? No. And I know that's a crude analogy. It's just what came to my mind. But basically, I don't feel like we should silence women from talking about what birth should be just because there are some women who need that medical technology or who need a midwife's assistance. I mean, I'm a student midwife. I've been a student midwife for well over a year now. I've been actively going to births. I've been a student for even longer. I've been in school for even longer. But, you know, actively going to births and assisting... Because I want to be there with women and because sometimes women do need help. Sometimes they just need a cheerleader. And sometimes, for example, I went to a birth a few months ago where we had a shoulder dystocia. And my preceptor, uh, really, she went in and she handled that very well. And I was grateful for that. And the parents were grateful for that. And it was a great birth. The mom was really pleased with the outcome. Baby was doing well. But 
It was a massive baby, even more massive than Phoenix, and that mom really needed that. So I'm grateful for that for that skill and those interventions when they're needed. But I don't think that just because some moms need those, we should stop talking about the situations where those aren't those are not needed. And even those situations, like I said, that mom was happy with the birth. She felt like that was an empowering experience for her. Her first birth had been in a hospital and this was a very different situation for her. And even though she needed that skill from my preceptor, she still felt like it was a good birth experience. And there can be times too where a mom needs a cesarean where she feels that way. But again, we need to talk about we need to talk about the design of normal birth and natural birth, nature's design of that. I believe God's design of that. But regardless of what your worldview is, there is a design, be it Mother Nature, be it the Lord God, be it whatever, the flying spaghetti monster. I don't know. It doesn't matter. There is a design to birth. And it's designed for mom and baby. And it's designed for mom to feel confident and empowered. And many women who have the VBAC the first, for the first baby or even a subsequent baby need a cesarean for whatever reason, or excuse me, need a cesarean. They want that experience, and it's totally valid if that's you. It's totally valid if you want that experience. Why anybody would look down on you because you want the experience that nature has designed for you to have, that you want those benefits for yourself and your baby, is Frankly, at this point in my life, it's beyond me. I feel like it's even more unbelievable now than it was years ago when I first became interested in birth work. I just, I guess the more and more I learn about birth and the more and more I learn about the importance of that design, I'm absolutely flabbergasted that anybody would ever imply that a woman is selfish for wanting that. Because in all honesty, it's designed to be of benefit for her and her baby and to be of great benefit to a woman and her baby. It's designed to be of great benefit to you and your baby. So wanting to have that experience because you want that birth, because you want to bring your baby out on your own power is not at all selfish. And it's a totally valid reason along with the other reasons that we've talked about. And as you explore the resources that I'll link in the show notes, it's a totally valid reason to keep in mind. So with that, we went over some, so those were some reasons to want a VBAC. Like, why would we even want a VBAC? Why would we consider that instead of, you know, saying, okay, well, I mean, it's convenient to be able to decide my baby's birthday and we can schedule everything and just have everything so nice and easy, just exactly the way we want it. Why go to all the mess of trying to wonder when is this baby going to come and is this labor, is this not labor and everything? So hopefully that helps answer some of those questions. And we touched lightly on the safety of VBAC versus the safety of repeat cesareans. And on the whole, it's very safe. Like I said, I'm going to link you to some resources that really cover this in depth and give great information, which is especially nice if you're trying to talk to care providers or if you're trying to talk to daddy and that sort of thing. So with that, let's move into some steps. This is going to be a, at least a two-part podcast series. So we won't cover all the steps, but we're going to cover some of the steps for uh, choosing or, or increasing your chances to have a successful VBAC. So the first step is to pick a care provider carefully. And I actually want to start with pick a place of birth carefully. Pick where you're going to have your baby carefully. Why do we start with where you're going to have your baby? It's because where you're going to have your baby dictates who is going to be there with you? I even give this advice to my mama baby birthing students who are first time moms. 
you know, where are you, where are you going to have your baby is the first choice you need to make because that dictates who your care provider is going to be. Your care provider has to go with the place that you're birthing. So you may find a super VBAC friendly doctor, but if the place you're going to give birth isn't friendly to VBACs, your doctor is probably going to meet with barriers and you're also going to meet with barriers and having the birth that you want. It's sad, but it is reality. So for example, let's say that a doctor has privileges at two hospitals. One hospital is friendly to VBAC and one is not. The doctor is very likely to have women who have successful VBACs at the hospital that is friendly to VBACs. But even if the doctor is super friendly to VBACs and has helped facilitate many VBACs at Hospital A, if you go to Hospital B, which is hostile to VBACs, chances are you're going to have a really hard time having a VBAC. The sad thing about that situation is often insurance or sometimes it even happens with a single-payer system. I've had a, um, a mama baby birthing student who has been really frustrated because in Canada, her choices on where to birth are pretty limited just based upon where she is and everything. And she's grateful that she's been able to find a midwifery clinic to get into. But for most of her pregnancy, she thought that that was not going to be a reality. And she was with an obstetrics practice that she really didn't feel respected her. So even if you're not in a place where it's quote unquote insurance that seems to dictate you may find that your choices are limited just overall by your healthcare system. And that can be really, really tough. So it's important to look first at what is the facility's perspective on this. And then find out what is who is a care provider associated with this place that my insurance will let me see or if I'm going to pay out of pocket that we can pay out of pocket. So I think that it starts fundamentally with exploring options in your area with three different options that are pretty typical for women to have, which are home birth, birth center birth, or hospital birth. And when I say birth center, I really mean an independent freestanding birth center because a birth center that's connected with the hospital is going to follow the hospital's policies to some extent. So you also definitely need to research the hospital. So some places don't have a freestanding birth center, so that might not be an option for you. In some places, it might be harder even to have a home birth. But the first thing that you should look at is home, birth center, or hospital. Uh, and think about that from a variety of per perspectives. Which one am I comfortable with? Um, which one is my partner, my husband comfortable with? And, uh, and are they friendly to VBAC? And are they friendly to me? So you need to know, like, do I feel like I connect with uh, with this person when you're looking at the people that are um, that are there? And I say this mostly because if you're considering a home birth or birth center birth, it's probably going to be limited options because there's probably not that many home birth midwives or birth center teams in your area. So your options are limited. So then you're going to look at the care provider. Another option if you're having a home birth is an unassisted home birth which is definitely your choice to make, and that's something that you should explore. I'm not going to address that or talk to that extensively in this podcast. I support any family's right to choose an unassisted birth. I feel like you should choose an unassisted birth because that's the choice that you guys have decided is right for you, not because finances uh, restrict you from somebody else 
or even because your geographic area restricts you from somebody else. So for example, there are no home birth midwives in my area, so we feel forced to have an unassisted birth. I think sometimes those situations can end up being overwhelming situations because the family doesn't really want an unassisted birth. What they want is a supportive care provider and they can't find that. So that's a topic that we can explore in another podcast. If y'all are interested in it, let me know. Shoot me an email, Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com. We can talk some about unassisted birth, but I just want to mention it here that I think if it's a, if it is a decision that feels really right to you, then I think that's an option for be back moms. So again, decide home, birth center, hospital. And then if you decide um, any of those, really, what is what are their feelings towards VBACs? Will they take you if you're a VBAC mom? So when I look at a home birth midwifery practice, uh, many home birth midwives are willing to take VBACs. Some areas have legislation in place that can limit a, a midwife attending a VBAC. But many home birth moms or home birth midwives are willing to attend VBACs. And a primary VBAC is something that's different, um, a little bit of a different animal when you're talking to a midwife. So if you've had vaginal births before, then that's something that changes it a little bit. And if this is not your first VBAC, so if you've already had one VBAC and you're going for another one, so in those cases, it's it's a little bit, a midwife is going to be a little more willing to take you in those cases. If you're a primary VBAC, which means this is going to be your first VBAC after a cesarean, and especially if your first baby was uh, a cesarean, then many midwives are going to talk to you a little bit more. They want to make sure things like you're healthy, baby's healthy, the pregnancy's progressing well, everything looks good. They really want to make sure those things are in place and that you're committed to a VBAC, which is going to be the things that we talk about across this podcast series. But I'll say that another really big thing, especially for a home birth midwife or perhaps even a birth center midwife, is going to be how committed you and your partner both are. So if your partner, your husband, seems really hesitant then a midwife is going to be more hesitant. So there's some soul searching really that you need to do as you consider, you know, do I want a VBAC? And the things that we talk about in this series will help you to do that soul searching and will help you to have those discussions with your partner. But I mention that because it's something before I was a student midwife really working heavily in a midwifery practice, it's not something that I would have thought about so much but now that I am working frequently in a midwifery practice, it's something that I that I find myself thinking about a lot more. Because if a woman comes in and her husband isn't really on board, sometimes he can subtly do things to undermine the birth or undermine her. I don't think that's fair. I think if a woman is really committed, she should be able to have the birth she wants regardless of her man. I mean, when Scott and I were engaged to be married, I basically told him, I want to have our babies at home or this whole thing gets called off. I was like that much of a butt about it, really. But it was super important to me. It was super important to me. And I was also willing to educate him. And he feels as passionately about about it as I do now. But just know that uh, that for a midwife to feel comfortable, she really wants to see your commitment. And she also wants to see that you've got that support because that's really what it comes down to is support. And we're going to talk about that in one of the steps. 
But those are just some things to start thinking about and to start mulling over in your own mind as you're looking at care providers and as you're thinking about, is this, you know, is this the option that I want to take? Um, think about what are the, what's the care provider going to be looking for. And the big thing she's going to be looking for is commitment. Now, as far as a doctor goes, they may have some different things that they want to look at. Something that all providers are going to look at is what kind of incision did you have? If you had, um, you know, a classic low horizontal incision, that's the one that most care providers are going to be most comfortable with. If you have any sort of special scar, a higher incision, an inverted T, a vertical incision, some women have J-shaped incisions, those all complicate the picture slightly. And so those are things that you want to know about in your own medical history and things that you would want to review with a care provider. And sometimes your scar that you see on the outside for your C-section is not indicative of what was done inside. So it's a good idea to, to have your records so that, um, so that you can see. And any woman, for anybody listening, if it turns out that you are going to need to have a cesarean for your baby, one of the things that you really want to do and one of the things that it's good for your birth team to do if you plan to have babies in the future um, is really vocally say, you know, I want you to, if at all possible, give an incision that makes a VBAC the most likely. Because some doctors, sometimes especially in a hurry, will use an incision um, that lets them get to the baby more quickly. And sometimes that's a life-saving thing and sometimes it's a convenience thing. But again, it's just something that should be emphasized. And if you've had a cesarean in the past, know, you know, where was that incision done? And not just the incision on the outside, but also the incision on the inside. Because that's going to be important too. So, back to care providers. I would say that as far as what's going to make it the most likely for me to have a successful VBAC, um, having a midwife who's going to work with you and thinking about, say, a home birth makes it more likely that you're going to have a VBAC just because you don't have to fight all the policies and procedures. You don't have to fight all the interruptions, et cetera, et cetera. Having said that, if you find a hospital that's friendly towards VBACs, and if you've got a care provider who's friendly towards VBACs, uh, and you take some of the other steps that we'll talk about, your likelihood of having a VBAC is pretty good. So I think it's important for you to look over the different options in your area and choose first and foremost the option that you feel the most comfortable with. In other words, I don't want you to pick a home birth because Kristen said, well, I'll have the best choice of a VBAC, but I kind of really feel nervous and would, would really prefer to be in the hospital. In that case, do your homework and find the hospital that's going to give you a good chance. Or if you're in that place and you know that a birth center or a home birth is really the only thing that's going to give me a chance at a VBAC because of my hospital climate, then you need to do a lot of soul searching and a lot of work to come to peace with that decision so that you feel confident about it. Because it's a lot of it is, again you, how you feel about it, and your confidence, and 
just your assurance in yourself and your body and your baby and the safety of the choice that you're making. We can never make any guarantees in birth. You know, we can't we can't promise that a birth in the most medicalized hospital there with the most statist of the artist stuff that and I'm being silly on purpose, y'all. But the most statist of the artist stuff and all the machines that go BP and all of that kind of stuff can't guarantee the safety of birth. Nothing can. But if you would feel safer in a particular situation, that's what you want to consider. Um, and then also realize that so much of the work that you do in pregnancy, both physically and practically, things that we'll talk about as well as emotionally, go a long way to helping make the experience that you want. So look around in your area. See what, what there is. If you've had any friends who have had a VBAC, you know, talk to them. Um, search around online. Checking on Facebook. Asking there, looking at uh, mothering.com has forums. I'm not super active on their forums. I was more active in the past. It's gotten kind of big and overwhelming and I'm too busy for it now. But in the past, they had a regional area, which was a good place to start querying about VBACs. Um, you could also call, even if you don't want to have a home birth, if there's a home birth midwife in your area, you could call her and tell her that you're interested in having a VBAC. You're not sure about uh, having a VBAC at home, but you really want to know what is, you know, what's the hospital climate like in your area and, and just uh, what, what care providers and what hospitals make it more likely that you'll have a VBAC. And chances are, or you could shoot her an email, chances are she will get back to you and let you know because she probably knows. So those are some different resources, friends, online forums, asking on Facebook, maybe contacting a local midwife or birth center, just telling them, look, I'm not sure that I want a home birth. I'm just exploring my options. And do you know uh, which hospital would be the best? So those kinds, those are ways that you can feel out to find which, you know, which hospital or which birth center or which midwife is the one who's going to be most likely to be the right one. And I also want to say, never assume that just because a midwife is a midwife, that that means she's your best option. Um, some midwives are going to are gonna be much more, pay much more attention to medical protocol and that sort of thing. And they're, they're going to be more like obstetricians just in the way they practice. And some midwives are going to be more uh, midwifey. You know, they're going to feel more like the midwife model of care and they're going to be more independent in their thinking. And neither one of those necessarily means that you'll have a VBAC one over the other. But it, there are just things to be thinking about. Always, always, once you've picked your place of birth, evaluate the individual. Never make an assumption because of their title. Always evaluate the individual and make sure. I mean, you might have an OB who's absolutely fabulous. You might have a maternal fetal medicine specialist or perinatologist who's absolutely fabulous. And you may have a midwife who you feel like doesn't really mesh with you. So those are things to look at. We can give, we can make broad assumptions about different places to give birth and different providers to give birth with. But in the end, you really, really, really want to look at the individual person. And you want to look at the facility and ask, you know, is this friendly? One thing, and I think I think that we may stop with this step because I've ended up talking quite a bit more than I was expecting to uh, because we talked about some of the, you know, why would you even consider a VBAC? But one more thing to consider, and this follows from what I was just saying, is uh, even if you feel like, okay, even if you're doing your homework right now, like I've picked a good care provider and they have a great reputation and everything, 
but you feel like once you're in their care that you are not meshing with them, that it's not going well. Or if you feel like they're not respecting my wishes, I'm definitely starting to get hints that this person is not all who he or she says that they are, that they're not supportive. Or they told me that, yeah, well, we can make all these allowances for you, but as I get closer to my baby's due date, I realize, no, they're actually not going to budge on all these things. You don't have to be afraid to switch. I mean, what you ideally want is a, a provider who's open to VBAC, who has a good success rate with VBAC, um, who's going to allow you a really generous trial of labor. And if you've done your homework, hopefully you find that person for a shot. But you might realize, look, that that's not going to happen. Or you just sign up for the same practice that you used before because that's who you know from your previous birth. And you realize they really kind of just want me to schedule a repeat cesarean because once a cesarean, always a cesarean is the prevailing belief in many practices. And you don't want that. So don't be afraid to switch providers. Don't be afraid to switch places of birth. Don't be afraid to do that homework and look into that no matter where you are in pregnancy. I've heard numerous stories about women who switch providers at like 38, 39, 40 weeks pregnant and went on to have a good birth. Now, I think the ideal is establishing a relationship with your care provider um, and not necessarily coming late to care. But reality is, is that sometimes that that feeling, that misgiving grows. Um, and it's only as you get farther along that you start to realize that, look, you know, this person really might not be a good fit for me. And if that's the case, don't be afraid to do this homework. Don't be afraid to look around. Don't be afraid to explore some other options. So I'm going to, again, I'm going to put some resources in the show notes that I really recommend that you check out talking about the safety of a vaginal birth after cesarean and some other things like that. And then definitely stay tuned. We're going to talk uh, about some more steps to a, to having a VBAC. We will talk about, let's see, finding support. Um, and we'll talk more about getting your partner on board with this. And we're also going to talk about keeping yourself healthy and low risk. I'm definitely going to try and cover both of those things in the next edition of this. And I think probably probably we should count on this taking at least three episodes. Um, but we're just we're going to really dig into all of this and go deeply into the different steps that will make a VBAC much, much more likely for you. But start here with the basics of understanding why do I want a VBAC or exploring why you want a VBAC and also starting to explore those options in your area as you begin to plan a VBAC. With that, uh, I will talk to you in the next episode as we continue this series. If you'd like to get updates on that or get tips, I usually send out a few tips a week uh, as well as announcements about new videos on the YouTube channel and all that. Check things out at TrustBirth101.com. You can get a little freebie to help you with your baby there. And you'll also be signed up for the newsletter list. So that's TrustBirth101.com. I encourage you to head right over there, sign up so that you don't miss anything. And I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.